All right, you probably noticed in life that uh, life is a series of decisions. There's all sorts of matters for your consideration, from the extremely important to the very trivial. Like, for instance, what will you have lunch for lunch today? How, do you want fries with that? Do you want to supersize this? Uh, what should I wear? Should I buy this? Where to go on vacation? Uh, perhaps what college should I go to? And it keeps going up there. I mean, like, should I marry this person? What church? Should I attend? And there's just all sorts of questions that you have and decisions that you make about what you say and what you do. But when it comes to the most foundational issues of life, what you want to do is you want to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. When Jesus concludes his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he actually lays out what he considers to be the foundational issues of life. And so let's take a look at it, beginning in chapter 7, verse 13, the very first foundational issue for our life that Jesus says is the decision that is before us. Let's take a look, chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Just like Jesus, he kind of narrows it down and brings utter clarity. And what he's saying in life, if you want to have uh, an understanding of the various opportunities before you, why there is one that is the broad, broad way, and it's a wide gate. It's, it's the idea that anything you want to bring, anything you want to do, what you want to believe, why it's totally fine. In fact, he says, it's, it's wide and accommodates any sort of philosophy. If you would like to say there is no God and you want to believe that, well, the way to go through life is to go through life as an atheist and say there's no God because that way you don't have to mess with the whole God thing and you just do whatever you want. There's the idea that you're your own God. Or if you want to make it up as you go, or you can pick from world religions, or you can actually mix them all together. And he says there is a wide, broad way, and frankly, many people are going this way. It is the, it's the way of the culture, it's the most popular opinion, and you kind of think there's safety in numbers. If everybody thinks this way, you're kind of pick and choose, and you kind of take God on your own terms, or like it's kind of like you make your all-you-can-eat all burrito, and you just kind of pick this and that, and that spirituality is what you want it to be, and what, what's true to your own heart, or you follow your own feelings, why, there's a lot of folks that are like that. And it's, it's uh, promoted in the media, uh, there are churches and religious institutions that, that promote this broad way. But its end, notice what Jesus said, its end is destruction. And there are many who are going through it. You never talk about the end, you just kind of talk about, oh, of course, you go through life any way you want. You don't have to actually uh, bow down to a supreme authority. There is no such thing as a God who is ab that gives absolute truth. You just do what you want. But of course, Jesus says, you need to understand something. Jesus is a truth teller. He tells it the way it really is. This broad road is a way that leads to destruction. On the other hand, though, there is, verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. There is an alternative to the broad road that leads to destruction. Jesus says it's the narrow, narrow way. It's a, it's a very 
small gate. You see that? It's small at the way, narrow at the gate. It, in fact, it is so small that only one can go through it. And that one is Jesus. And then you have to be united with him. You have to leave all of your baggage. All of the things that you might be trusting in, that you think that somehow will going to merit heaven for you, or your relationship with God. Whatever you're finding your success in, your purpose, peace, identity in, if it's not Jesus Christ, and you're not united with him and to him by faith, while you're still on the broad road. It's so narrow that you have to be united with Christ. You have to trust in Christ and Christ alone. He says, this, however, this way is narrow and it leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's very interesting. Remember, when John the Baptist begins his ministry, he has one message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know when Jesus began his public ministry? He began with the exact same words. You look at Matthew 3, 2 for John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where Jesus, and they all said the same thing. You know how they, what they said? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You literally have to turn from self and sin, and you have to trust in Christ and Christ alone. It's super narrow. And it's, it's not popular. And there are few who find it. But it is the way that leads to life. Very interesting. Do you know what the early Christians were called? The early Christians were called as those who belonged to the way. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You really want relationship with God? It's found exclusively by trusting in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Remember Peter? When Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he said this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's one, and that is trusting and knowing in Jesus. And yet, to choose, to not choose the narrow gate is to continue to choose the broad one, the wide one, the way of destruction. Frank Sinatra years ago had a song very popular. It could actually become the theme song in hell. And it's simply, I did it my way. I did it the way I thought it should be done. I was true to myself. I followed my heart. It made sense to me to go this way. I, I kind of picked and choose. I'm a pretty clever fellow, and I, I know exactly how to make it happen. But friends, Jesus wants you to understand foundation of life is the decision is before you. Are you going through the narrow gate? Are you truly trusting in Christ? Because if you're not, you need to be clear. You are actually still on the broad road that leads to destruction. You're, you're passing through the wide gate. Lots of folks are joining you. You might think you're safety in numbers, but according to Jesus, you're in for a huge disappointment. It's like, uh, you know, trusting in Christ is kind of like math. Math is one of those disciplines where there's really only one right answer. Now I know that there's the new math, that the right answer is whatever you feel like it should be. But that's actually not how it works. There's one right answer. Some people think that, well, you can give an approximate answer and that's going to be good enough. And they treat their spirituality the same. Well, you know, I have an approximate spirituality. I know a little bit about God. I have a Bible. My parents were Christians and that's going to be fine. Friends, it's super narrow. You must believe in Christ and Christ alone. And 
if you don't, you're still on the broad road that leads to destruction. You know, so foundation to our life is the decision that is before us. But also notice what Jesus says beginning in verse 15. You also have to have an understanding of the dangers that are around us. Look at verse 15. Jesus says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There are going to be those who misrepresent God and are going to put themselves in positions of authority. They're going to pose as spiritual leaders. They are going to look to get adherence. Those who will align themselves with their beliefs. And Jesus says, you've got to beware that there are going to be false prophets that are going to come to you, and they're going to be dressed up like in sheep's clothing. They're going to look innocent. But Jesus says, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They literally will tear you apart. They are actually going to bring about destruction to your life, because if you listen to them, and if you follow them, and they're not submitting to the authority of God, they're teaching you things that are not true, then getting you to believe things that are actually not true and align with Scripture. They're giving you a false sense of security. They're leading you to destruction. That is why this is such a foundational matter for life. You better be very careful about who you're listening to and who's influencing your lives, especially spiritually. Because Jesus says, there's false prophets that are out there. And you will know them, verse 16, by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. So what are the fruits of false teachers? What are the fruits of those who are dressed up like sheep, but they're really wolves, and they're going to lead to a lot of destruction? Well, let me give you some different categories. First of all, look at their doctrine. Look at what they actually teach. Do they truly defend God's word? Are they presenters of truth? Are they trying to help you understand what God has to say because they're submitted 100% to his authority and they want you to know truth? Truth about God, truth about salvation that's in Christ and Christ alone. Do they actually talk about sin? Do they talk about the Lordship of Jesus? How important it is? Do they actually warn you of staying away from things that are sin? Do they show you how to deal with temptation? Do they help you understand how to confess your sins and experience forgiveness and to walk with Christ? Or do they deny the deity of Jesus? Do they actually treat this book, which we call the Bible, as, well, no, it's, it's inspired writings, and you can get some good inspirational thoughts and some good guidance for life, or do they treat it for what it really is, the Word of God that does its work in you? You'll know them by their fruits, by what they teach and what their doctrine. You also can see by what they don't say. You know, there are going to be false teachers, false prophets, that are going to stand up as spiritual authorities, and they're going to say, listen, you do whatever you want. They are accommodating the broad road. You know, we have so much negativity in our world, so we're not going to deal with issues like sin. We're certainly not going to tell people that there's a judgment or that there's a hell. Right? In fact, we assume that in our country, like almost everybody's going to heaven, right? Maybe like if you were like really, really, really bad, like Adolf Hitler, maybe he doesn't go. But everybody else, we're just going to safely assume they're in heaven. Jesus said actually few are actually going through the narrow gate, right? Which actually tells us there's probably far more people that are going to be in hell than in heaven. But these false teachers, these false prophets, they're not going to talk about anything like that. 
They want you to believe anything that will just kind of keep you attached to them. They'd like you to give money, give allegiance. Uh, they'd like you to affirm their positions. And it makes sense to you. It feels good. And it's broad. Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruits. You also know them by not only their doctrines, what they teach, but you're also going to know them by how the people they're influencing, how they behave, and what they believe. Do people have a, a love for God and His Word? Is that being cultivated? Is that sustained? Or are people actually like, no, 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 we're kind of like doing our own thing. The idea of biblical authority, well, that's too strong. Actually, what we're after is that uh, we're going to reject God's Word. The Bible really won't have a role in our life. Maybe it won't even have a role in our church. And so you look at how the, their teaching influences others. What is it seeking to cultivate? And the final fruit that you could look at, Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruit, is you actually look at their own personal character. False teachers, wherever you might find them, they're prone to two major problems. One is arrogance and pride. It just seems to like take them over. The other, sexual immorality. It's like they just become consumed with their own selves, and they can't even help themselves, even if they know that it will kind of destroy my credibility, and they go ahead and do it. You know, false prophets, I know a lot of folks are talking about this, but they're very prevalent. They always have been. You've read the Old Testament, haven't you? There were false prophets, and they came up, and what did false prophets do? They always told the people what they wanted to hear. Kings would actually collect false prophets because they told them what they wanted to hear. Like, hey, where's my, where's my prophet? They didn't call them false prophets, but they knew. And they, the prophet was just kind of like, oh, you're the greatest, and go ahead, and you should wage war. And, and they would tell them things that they knew that the king would want them to hear. But it was wrong, and it wasn't from God. False prophets actually still exist today. We got folks, and uh, they set themselves up in spiritual, spiritual authority. They may wear religious garb. They may have a little cross around their neck. They may have a Bible. They may be either in cathedrals. They might be in places that are called spiritual enrichment centers. They might be uh, part of a kingdom hall. They perhaps have their own steakhouse. They're in a wide variety of forms. And they're popular. But Jesus says you're going to know them by their fruits. Do not be deceived. Wheat, barley, grapes, figs, these were some of the top commodities of Israel. But you also need to know what Jesus says. So a very good tree bears good fruit. Good tree trees produce good fruit, but the bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And what Jesus is saying is you need to beware of those who are spiritually dangerous. They potentially could lead you astray. And he actually is telling you there is going to be a time of judgment when all of these false prophets will one day be judged. And he shows you what that will even look like. He says, cut down and thrown into the fire. It's like Jesus will allow the wheat and the tares. He's going to allow the weeds to kind of grow up because he's not going to pull them up quite yet, but one day there will be this great separation. And he's going to deal with it. But friends, foundational to your life, you better be very careful about who you're listening to and who is influencing you. Picking a church, if you're out church shopping, shouldn't be about, hey, what pastor entertains me the most. What you're looking for is who's going to teach me the word of God. Who is submitted to God's authority? 
And uh, I want you to know something. As pastors, we have got a job to do, and that is to preach the word. We're not here to tell you cute stories. We're not here to, like, we want you to just uh, appreciate all of the spiritual experiences that I've had in my life. We want you to experience rich relationship with Christ and what it means to follow him in his word. That's why God has given this commission. Pastors, 2 Timothy 4, 2, you are to preach the word. Not your own experiences, not your fun ideas, not we think he's cute and clever, what's the latest trend. No, to preach my word. And I will tell you this. You want to make sure that you are always examining what you're hearing by the truth of Scripture. Romans 4.3 has probably one of the most important questions, and that is, what does the Scripture say? I will tell you, I will never try to mislead you. I put a lot of work in studying and presenting the Word of God to you accurately, how it applies to your life, but don't take my word for it. You examine it against the grid of Scripture. Why? Because, friend, there's going to be folks out there that are going to try to lead you astray. And the type of tree determines the type of fruit. And notice what else he says in this exact same warning. Some of the most sobering words in the Bible begin in verse 21. They are hard to even read. Listen to what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Jesus now sets himself up as the authority. In fact, this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that he refers to the Father as his Father, setting himself up on an equal plane with God. And furthermore, he's now going to set himself up as the judge. Notice what he's saying. Whoever does the will of my Father. It's not enough that you can say, Lord, Lord. Lots of people can throw that rhetoric out. But you actually have to what? Know him. Who, he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter him. You know him, you adhere, you follow what he has to say. You, that begins with salvation, but it continues as a way of life. You are following Jesus, you know Jesus, and you want to follow what he says. Now, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. Far from it. As a Christian, you know all of our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. There are going to be times where you're going to sin. And, that, and what do you do when you sin, even as a Christian? Because some people are kind of thrown off this way, like, man, after I became a Christian, I should never sin again. Well, I wish that was the case. But I was disappointed because I actually still sin. I still have these natural propensities to want to do what is wrong and kind of live the self-centered life. That's why the first verse that I memorized as a Christian was this. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What it means, though, is that we're, we're always going back to Jesus. We're trusting him even in our failures. We are big believers in the gospel. We are on the narrow way. We're going through the narrow gate. We're, in the, we're trusting in the gospel gateway of Christ and Christ himself. But notice what these people are trusting in. Look at verse 22. These are the people that are saying, Lord, Lord, but they actually are not doing the will of the Father. Verse 22, many will say to me on that day, this day of judgment, and who are they going to say this to? Jesus, because he's actually the judge. He is Savior and judge, and they're going to say this. 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Weren't we actually like your spokesman speaking your truth, right? We were doing it in your name. We called ourselves pastors or spiritual leaders. And do you remember this, Jesus? In your name, we cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles. And what they're doing is they're focusing on the miraculous rather than Messiah. They are caught up in the things that they did rather than knowing Christ. And you're like, how did they pull that off? I mean, how did they do these miracles? Like casting out demons or these other miracles. Whether they were convincingly faked or whether it was imitated by evil powers, we're not exactly sure, but they're saying, listen, we did some really amazing things. Remember? We did it in your name. And I want you to see what Jesus said. Verse 23. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So let's take a little minute to consider it. Are you just saying, Lord, Lord, or do you actually mean it because you actually know him? Because one day Jesus is actually going to separate the true believers from the false ones. And you might be actually putting all your stock in these amazing things that you think you may have done. Jesus says the issue is, do you know me? Satan, very interesting. Satan, when he actually sends the Antichrist, will wow the world with miracles. And they're like, people are like, surely this has got to be the power of God. You can read about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, like verses like 7 through 12. Judas Iscariot, who actually betrays Jesus, likely did all of these things, but he actually never knew Jesus because meaning that he trusted him. And so, friends, you have to realize there are great dangers that are out there. Basically saying, you profess to know, to know me, but you do not really possess me. Remember when Jesus' uh, mother and his like, half-brothers and sisters came? And he said, those who are rightly related to me are those who do the will of God. They hear the word. They follow me. It's important, friends, to not confuse doing things with knowing Christ. You can get yourself worked up in all sorts of legalism, and I've got to perform these duties to make myself convinced that I am actually a Christian. And there are even denominations that specialize in getting their people to run through hoops and following rules. The issue, friends, is that we are following Christ because we know him. This is absolutely foundational to life. It's not your words. It's not your works. It's your relationship with Christ that really saves you. It's kind of like uh, eating at an expensive restaurant, and you just kind of order all these great things, and at the end you're getting the bill because the waiter's presenting them to you, and, and you're like, you pull out your visa, and you think you're going to pay for it, and the uh, waiter says, I'm sorry, but we don't actually accept visa here. And you're like, this is my visa? What are you talking about? This works everywhere. And then the waiter says, listen, we only accept the master's card here. You have to know Christ. Christ has to be the payment for your sins. It's not you and your good works. It's trusting in Christ and Christ alone. But friends, the absolute important issue today is that you really know Christ, that you're trusting in him. For foundational to our life is understanding the decision before us, the dangers that are around us. But notice this. 
the difference, beginning in verse 24, the difference that Jesus can make in us. Jesus concludes his most powerful and most popular sermon with a contracting seminar. Remember what he says, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall before it had been founded on the rock. And so Jesus, being a Jewish carpenter, ends with this contracting seminar, and he says, really, in life, there are two different builders. Everybody's building a lot. The question is how you're building, or more importantly, who or what you're building on. And so Jesus says, you know, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them. Do you see what he's doing? He is setting himself up as the supreme authority. And the chapters uh, 8 and 9, he's going to do a series of miracles to attest to the world that indeed he's the son of God, the eternal son of God, worthy of your worship and worthy of your allegiance. And he says, he who hears these words. The word here has the idea that you not just actually like hear it in your ears, but that you understand it, you comprehend it, and you're actually looking to apply it. It is processing what you hear, and he says, not only do you hear them, but you act on them. You actually do them. Through the power of his spirit, you're actually putting this into play in your life. It's kind of like what James says, but prove yourself doers of the word, not just merely hearers who delude themselves. And so you act on them. And you are laying a foundation for the future. You are digging deep and you are building upon the rock. The rock speaks of Christ, of stability, of truth. Because you're fully aware that there is going to eventually be storms in your house and your life is going to be tested. No farmer ever plowed his field by just kind of turning it over in his mind. Just kind of like, oh, I'm just kind of dreaming about my John Deere. It's turning over the soil. You wake up and like, but nothing's happened, right? You actually have to actually get in your John Deere tractor, and you have to till the soil. And that's what Jesus is saying. Not only do you hear, but you actually act. First and foremost, you believe the gospel, and you're building your life on what God has revealed in his word. And so what happens here, he says, is verse 25, eventually storms are going to come, and they're going to test your house. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it's been founded on the rock. And this is exactly what happens in Israel. They have these, like, they're called wadis. They're dry riverbeds. That is until it rains. So you know how, like, it rains here in Texas? Like, we could be having a church picnic, and then, like, an hour or two later, it's, like, dumping two inches in two hours, right? And it just comes down, and all of a sudden, you've got flooding everywhere. And those dry riverbeds, all of a sudden, they're filled with water, and erosion, and water is just rushing everywhere. And yet, if you built your house on the rock... If you've built your life on Christ and his word, there's been investment. If you were truly trusting in Christ, you actually withstand the storms. There is strength and peace and vitality to your life because you're building upon Christ. Your life is in him. And you can always tell how tall and strong a building is by how deep they're digging the foundation. For a building that's going to last, you want to dig deep until you get rock. Or you sink piers until it hits rock. That's what we did with this building. And that's what we did here. And so it is with your life. You build upon the rock. And you will make it. And the rains fall and it brings great destruction elsewhere. But if your life is on the rock, you stand. 
there's two types of builders. There's the wise builder. They hear and they act. But there's also another builder. And Jesus calls them the foolish builder. And I, I'll look at this in verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine, so they're hearing, but what? And does not act on them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The word foolish, uh, Greek word moros, is where we get our word moron from. It's like they're, they're foolish. They're like the fool in the book of Proverbs. The fool in the book of Proverbs may be highly intelligent, and they oftentimes have the right information, but they don't have application. They know, but for whatever reason, they don't ever act upon it. They don't respond. And that's what Jesus is saying here in verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine, but you do not act on them, why, you are like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Wow. And that the sand could be nice and hard and baked in the summer heat. It looks like pretty firm, right? And so they do. And it's like, man, why are you going to mess around with building and digging deep foundations and getting on the rock? Dude, this sand is hard enough, man. Just put your house up. Put all your time and energy on just building the house. Don't worry about the foundation. In fact, this is what the foolish guy does. He sees his neighbor, and he's digging deep and sinking all sorts of resources because he's trying to get down to that rock. And the man, the foolish guy's like, no, 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 that's not the way to go. What you do is you build a real nice house, and you get it up real quick, and you start enjoying life. You've got your house up, he's barbecuing, he's watching his neighbor sweating like a dog. In the meantime, he's just enjoying life because, after all, he's already got his house built. That's until the storms come, verse 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And it fell, and great was its fall. Whether he built that way out of thoughtlessness, or stubbornness, or callousness, he decided, I'm going to go in the sand. It, it costs a lot less. In fact, it doesn't even cost you to build on the sand. Because it doesn't require you to dig deep, or to have practices that are actually going to put your life on the rock. I mean, why would you go to a Bible study? Come on now, there's so many other things that you could do. You could go to a, a sports bar, and you could eat chicken wings, and you could watch sports reruns. You don't have to waste your time being in the Word. The idea of spending time with God and His Word and prayer, you don't want to do that. There's so many other things you could do, and things that you're missing on TV when you're doing that. The whole idea of like a discipleship relationship, don't do that, because there's so many other things you can do to just entertain yourself in life. What you're forgetting, though, is that the storms come. And and when these storms come, like Jesus said, the house falls and it is a great disaster. Why would, why would a person build their life on sand? Well, maybe they had other priorities. Maybe it was their priorities of happiness and house and career, family, leisure, retirement. You know what? All of those are good things. They're good gifts from God. But they're not the giver. God wants us to know him. In fact, when we know him, we can really appreciate the good things that he has given us. But the guy who's building on the sand, that gal, they got other priorities in life, and God isn't it. Um, maybe they were just unwilling to apply themselves. I mean, they couldn't be bothered to dig deep. After all, you've got to exert yourself. There are going to be certain practices in your life if you're going to really build your life on the rock, and that will take time and energy, and you, frankly, are devoting that to others, other things. So... Maybe he had an unwilling to apply himself. Maybe, maybe the foolish builder was just short-sighted. You know, you see this. 
A lot of folks are just kind of living for the moment. They're making decisions in the passion of the hour. Some decisions they're going to regret greatly, maybe even the next day. You see, the foolish builder never builds with the long-term perspective. The wise one, on the other hand, does. He knows there's storms and there's more to this life. The foolish builder, on the other hand, doesn't really think about those things. Just kind of ignores them. He's building for the here and now. He doesn't ever consider there's going to be some pretty serious storms that are going to roll through my life, and I'm really going to find out what I'm building upon. And so he does. And so like a house of cards, his life will be destroyed. He never knew Christ. He never went through the narrow gate. If you've come to church here today, and you'd like to know how to destroy your life, I want to make sure before you leave that you know exactly how to do that. Okay? In case you're wondering how to do that, I want to make sure you know how to do that. Let me just tell you. First of all, if you really want to destroy your life, just kind of blow it up, do not believe in Christ or his word. <laughs> That's, you do not want to do that. Okay? Uh, this is how you do this. Treat it as nice, but not necessary. Oh, that's a nice thing. I'll say what I need to say when I need to say it, but it's not necessary for you. Never look to Christ for strength. Never thank Him. After all, you're doing it your way. If you want to destroy your life, here's something else you need to do. Do not apply His Word to your life. Now, that would be a foundational mistake if you did that. So, take His message of salvation in Christ alone, uh, the power of His Word, and do like we say in Texas and just chunk it. You don't need that. That's not going to be helpful for you if you're trying to destroy your life. Um, here's something else. Do not be consistent. Never develop patterns of regularity in your life, whether it be a part of a church or being in the Word or praying or, or being involved with other, other believers. No, do not be consistent. Another thing is do not be with concern with spiritual growth. That, you don't want to be worried about that, no. Don't be worried about, like, the concern, am I really growing spiritually? Don't worry about those things. And then one other thing, don't worry at all, because your life will fall apart, and you have Jesus' word on it. You built your life on the sand. You went through the broad road. You thought there was safety in numbers, and actuality, it leads to destruction. So can I ask, what kind of house are you building I mean, you might have realized that, man, there's significant issues in the house. Like, there's these cracks in the wall, and what's happening in the floor? And, and, and there's like, this, this part of the house is starting to sink in. What's going on here? The foolish person would say, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, if, you don't, if you're bothered by these issues in your life, the lack of peace, you don't even know why you're here or what you're here for, just stay out of those parts of the house. Just avoid them. But friends, the end is destruction. I will tell you this about foundations. I noticed that when they actually build houses, they, they generally don't lay the foundation like in a hurricane. It's not to say that you can't when the storm is there, but I've noticed that when they do their work, they, they really want to lay the foundation when it's not stormy. I'm not saying that you can't build a foundation when it's stormy, but you need to understand, now's the time to be building the foundation. Now's the time to be trusting Christ. It's not to say that in the midst of the crisis, and some of you might be actually hitting one right now. You can't just, right now, just in abject fear, fall down before God and trust Him. Absolutely, I'd encourage you to do that. But the best time to build a foundation is when you've got the time to really put the good effort into it. Not when the tornado sirens are going off. You see, the difference isn't the weather. Uh, the difference is what you do with Jesus and His Word. After all, do you know what faith is? Faith is taking God at His Word. Do you really believe? Well, verse 28, when Jesus had finished these words, 
The crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. They had never heard or seen anything like this, because there is no one like Jesus. So what will you do with Jesus and his word? You know, we are building to build lives. A facility like we're building merely is to facilitate this mission of seeing people come to the fullness of maturity in Christ. We want to see our own lives personally growing and developing and building upon the rock of Christ. And we want to help as many people as we can to experience maturity in Christ. But the question is, what are you personally doing with Jesus and his words? Henry Blackaby, when he first became a pastor... Uh, he writes of his experience that the very first funeral he ever had to do was for a three-year-old girl. Um, this particular little girl, uh, the, not only the parents were in the church, but also the grandparents. And, I mean, she was kind of like the epitome of their attention. They just adored this little girl. And what happened is they ended up spoiling this little girl. This little girl did whatever she wanted and got whatever she wanted. In fact, she had developed patterns that Henry actually observed where, like, the parents would tell the child, like, sit down, and the child would immediately stand up and smile and just be in the fire, and they would laugh, like, uh, you know, these cute little kids, right? They'd tell the child to go to bed, the child would do anything but that. And it was kind of like those little minions in that movie. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it. And they thought it was all kind of cute. One day, they were in the front yard, and inadvertently the gate to the street was open. This car is screaming down the road, down the road, and it's going way too fast. The parents, seeing the daughter by the gate and running to the gate, start yelling, Stop! Stop! But the little girl did what she always did. She turned and she smiled. And then she turned and ran to the road. And she got hit by that car. The parents ran out. They picked her up, but the child died before they even got to the emergency room. And I want you to listen to what Henry Blackaby wrote. As a young pastor, this was a profound lesson for me. I realized I must teach God's people to immediately to obey his word when they hear it. It is life. See, the difference in our lives is what we do with Jesus and his words. What are you doing? Let's pray. Lord, only you could say it like you have in Scripture. And these words of Jesus, how needed and how sobering. And God, we, we don't want to be paying lip service to you. We really want to know you. We want to build our life upon your word. We want to know the stability of life on the rock, the rock of Christ. Father, for anybody who's come here today who's never truly trusted in Jesus, maybe they called you Lord, but they don't really mean it because they don't really know you. Certainly don't follow you. But now you have their full attention and they just simply pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. And this morning, I am trusting in your son and I really want to know you as Lord of my life. And God, for all of us, help us to build on the rock of Christ that we might know his stability and hope, his life and his joy in the midst of every aspect of life, including the storms. And we do so trusting in Christ for your glory. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name.